before you've written a song, you don't know really what a song is or what it will sound like. It's a bit like imagining what it's like to kiss a girl or something before you've actually done it. Like when it actually happens, it's all it's quite it's just natural and quick. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we are getting better acquainted with Dan. Hello Dan. Hello Dave. The first thing that I ask people is how did you meet me? Quite shrouded in the mists of time there. It must have been... That's quite funny. I'm not sure I remember. It must have been in London. Yeah. You were living in Lancaster. Yeah. And I was probably together with Jess in London. And she was working on you guys for a long time to come down and live in London. That's right. We. And then you finally did and we fucked off to Bristol. That's right. So we'd actually moved to London and we came to see you guys in Stoke Newington. Right. Oh, OK. And so I you came to see, stay in our house. We were, we were hanging out with Jess in the cemetery. You might have been there or we might have met you for a poached egg on cheese on toast or something weird. That sounds like our kind of style. Yeah. yeah, with spinach. Yeah. It was good. That's, that's London life you can have. Poached eggs at any time of the day. Or not. That's right, and you guys were living in Stoke Newington, and then yeah, you you, you pissed off me almost as soon as we moved near you guys. But we yeah. we went to live mics, didn't we, together in the Red Lion? Yeah, line that's true. Yeah, there was, there was a really good open mic in the Church Street, yeah. Stoke Newington, and there was a guy I really liked called MC Scalette Tricks, who was he was like a proto Mike Skinner. Well, I guess streets were already around that point, but he was doing something. He was just doing his own thing where he was just freestyling with no safety net at all and wasn't trying to be cool and make cool rhymes. No, he was, he he was, was just quite a kind of... Out I on guess limb. you could call him a novelty act, but that wouldn't be fair. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? In his head, he was great. Yeah, and, and sometimes he actually was great. He kind of it pushed through to kind of make yeah, it great. Yeah, that was when I was first learning to play solo in public and I was coming down every week to that. And even after you left, I went to that for a bit. But then, you know, it's hard to go to open mics without any friends. Yeah. The thing about open mics, having to sit through lots of musicians you absolutely hate and then having to tell them how much you love their songs. But, but it was all in the spirit of camaraderie. That's the problem with open mics. I yeah. Think. I tried to go to an open mic recently. I walked miles to get there because I thought it was nearby and it was miles away. And then when I got there, I was like, I just looked around the room and I was like, there is no one but the musicians here. I, can't, I really can't take it but I felt too bad so I had to mm. text my friend to get him to ring me so I could pretend that I'd had a last minute mm. thing because I'd spoken to the guy who was organising and I felt guilty about it well, I don't think, I'm not sure if that's meant to be the original spirit of open mics whether it's just meant to be musicians I think it, the idea was at some point was the public would come and see yeah that's what you'd like it, yeah. but it just turned into something where it's just guitarists playing for each other yeah now the worst one I've been to was in in Denmark Street, and um, they just had a list. They wouldn't wasn't first come first served. It was just literally a huge bundle to to get to this desk and sign your name down. There's, there's people almost having fights just to play their songs for free, which I guess is good in a way. They're so passionate about it, but it was uh, mayhem. It's nice to have an audience as well that aren't musicians. I think. What do you do now? I have been. I've been studying, I've been doing a, an MA, a Master's in Music Composition with soundtracks, TV and film, so my degree was a long time ago now, maybe 10 years ago, more than that, God. So, yeah, I guess I'm a mature student yeah. doing a Master's. Doing music for film? For film soundtracks, just one year thing. So, it's been it's been a roller coaster this year, but we've had some pretty cool tutors, but has made me realise how differently everyone perceives music. I thought I'd find... I think I've always been in search of a music teacher who'd be really inspirational and would understand like, my music and hear it properly in a, really, in a kind of goodwill hunting kind of way. Is that the thing? Or is it... Uh, no. What's the one Dead about Post, the English... Dead, Dead Poets Society. Yeah. And I'd be jumping on tables and writing amazing stuff and that didn't really happen. There were some people that did get me excited, but then... 
from their feedback about my work. I didn't really think they understood it was on it my bad, level at was all. Was it bad feedback or good feedback? Or? I got some good feedback on some things, but it was works in class, they'd say one thing, and then you get the written feedback and it would be completely the opposite. So academic environment as a whole is weird. Do you so, dislike it? I think or? it's... I think it would... Um, maybe it just drives people a bit nuts just teaching a bit like any form of teaching this doing the similar thing year after year and kind of maybe it's just a bit too automatic for these the teachers and a lot of them are stuck in the guys who are they're very much into contemporary classical music which is pretty far out and to get more funding and get the best students and the best reputation they have to keep going more and more far out into so I really wasn't aware of that scene at all it's kind of you read the score to one of these pieces of music and it's uh, someone screams someone saws a log um, someone smashes a glass you know crazy shit which in theory I should love but because I didn't really understand the people the motivation of the tutors who love this kind of thing I was like they're kind of obsessed with crazy music they kind of has to have a concept it has to have a written score, so I have, have these boundaries and these safety structures. They couldn't really handle improvisation or anything to do with pop culture. They were like, my professor was just like talking about pop bands one day, he's like, no, can't do it. It's a waste of time, I'd rather just listen to Wagner. So they're just completely closed off in some ways, but they think they're amazingly... But that's strange, just, really, because yeah. film scores nowadays are more and more influenced by pop music, yeah. and a lot of them are pure pop music, aren't they? But they're just operating right at the edge of the avant-garde, which you think is, would be the most free kind of space for music that could possibly be. But at the same time, it's very structured and strict and quite a bit of a ghetto. See, that's an interesting thing. I found exactly the same thing when I went to university. I went and I studied a, a course in contemporary experimental theatre, and that sounds great, doesn't it? Contemporary mm. experimental theatre. I like experimental as a concept. Yeah. And I like contemporary because that means now, doesn't it? But what it turned out to be was a really, really strict genre of experimentalism. Like, mm. they liked, they'd started liking experimentalism and then they got stuck in that groove and that's what they're still teaching. Mm. Was it sort of similar to that, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Well, I just think there's no form of experimentalism or experimenting that you can't condense or distill the best bits into a three-minute pop song. Or, exactly. And they just can understand, they can even begin to understand how that was possible or how even that, that might make a make those techniques come across even better than with just an open-ended like half hour of you know it's like Stockhausen's piece with four helicopters and, um, and the xylophones I think in each one or something and they're all communicating by walkie-talkie and they love that kind of shit but they couldn't handle like just four guys like improvising on a yeah so I was a bit disillusioned in the way. That made me want to react against that kind of status quo that they were stuck in. Yeah, but, I was exactly like that. Which was kind of annoying me, because I, I should be getting into this. Why don't I like this crazy music? I'm quite a crazy chap. <laughs> like, but but yeah. I, I think it's like there should be artists on the edge, pushing the boundaries, mm. but they, that, edge, that edge needs to be brought back again. Like, that's what, that's what I try to do. I like the idea of trying to make pop songs, but with but bringing the experimental back into it you know yeah having the art there but having the pop there as well you can't just uh, go around just completely inaccessible to the public and expect the public to yeah. pay money for that that's, I mean I think that's the weirdest thing well, yeah it's a shame as well because no one hears they write a lot of music no one hears it at all and so the only time people hear most the general public will hear an orchestra is in like the latest Hollywood film or whatever and even a lot of the time that isn't real instruments anymore so it's good in a way so it made me see things how they are and question whether I want to be a part of that kind of what music I actually want to to write and so in that regard it was it was a useful process and did you did you watch a lot of films as well yeah we deconstructed a lot of films and one professor or tutor we had who's really he, he was really good he got us to read actually read the visual language of films which we hadn't done before like from starting from Hollywood films when they couldn't actually show sex and they'd have they'd cut away to something a like train going the train going through and all pistons on a ship and, yeah. and like to represent 
the, the conjugal act and, stuff, and and right forward through to basic instinct or any any just deconstruct these films and it kind of the lines on the screen in the background and the colours in kind of Eisenstein's film. So it was kind of fascinating in a way. And there's a whole layer. Yeah, all of us just look at films in a new way. But I kind of, in a way, I wondered if I, if you'd start taking apart the technical aspect, aspects of the film, we ever be able to enjoy kind of it as just a finished thing to look at anymore. Do you feel yeah. that way about music as a music maker? Because now, yeah. I mean, you understand the theory. Well, I, I've always been very superstitious with music. It's kind of a bit like the goose that laid the golden oh, eggs. Yeah. You try and think about where the magic comes from or pin down what's special or rehearse and rehearse something that you think is good. Yeah, so I've always been quite... That's kind of that side of it's quite scary, I find. You don't want to... See, yeah, like behind it's, the... it's like looking into the sun. Sometimes I think kind of feels like that way, but I think that's held me back before because if I write a good song or something, I won't. I'll be I won't, a lot of the time. I won't want to practice it or play it. <laughs> Just the better it is, the least I want to play it in case I find out it's actually shit or something. So. <laughs> but I'm getting better at not being so weird, weird about the whole thing. But it's it's something I find in a lot of creative people I know really that there is this sort of strange disconnection between wanting to get their music heard by people and being sort of afraid to... to well, it's like people want to be mysterious. They want, they want music to be mysterious. Mm. They, well, it's like kind of... Let's say if I listen to AFX Twin now, I think it's amazing. But then if I did some music like that, or some, which I have done, like electronic music... And I know how I've put it together. And like this bar, I've gone to that sequencer or that sampler and put this plug-in in. I can see the screen and Logic or Cubase where this sample's coming in, that sample, and I can see all the whole patchwork. Then it's, I can't ever enjoy it as a piece of music because I know how, it's, how I've made it. Um, so that's why I've kind of, I really stick with, with acoustic instruments or analogue kind of performance. Because I love sequenced music, but if I if I can see it, it's just as blocks or ones and zeros, then it definitely loses its magic. But and you're capturing a moment when you're capturing yeah. uh, an analog instrument. You're, it, mm. Even if you're putting lots of tracks over it, mm. you're capturing that performance, that moment. Yeah. But if, I'd love to listen to my music as someone. I'll never get. I'll never. That's what the frustrating thing is. I'll never get to hear my music as someone as a piece of music that I'm not already familiar with yeah which I would love to do <laughs> then maybe I'll be able to be objective about it I guess yeah. the only way that you could do it is if you lost your mind yeah or get really forgot, lost all your memory well sometimes I have done that you get really you get uh, a bit drunk or in some disassociated state and write something or you've written something a long time ago and recorded it and forgotten about it and then you play the tape a couple of years later and it's really funny. You think, oh, I didn't realise that. That was actually quite good. Or is that is that even me? Um, so it's that moment. You think, who's who's this? Do you like your music? <laughs> That's a tough question. I think I like I like it in the moment when I'm playing it. Sometimes if it's going well, but I never listen to my music, or I will try and resist listening to it um, as much as possible. Just in case I find something wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, mean, I never really will do. By the time you finish it, that's the problem. Like, you've heard it so many times mm. in so many different ways when you're mixing. God. Mm. And then by the end, you're like, I can't listen to that again. Yeah. That's the thing. As, uh, as I'm looking to do soundtracks these days, I mean, in the old days, you'd have an orchestrator, conductor, arranger, engineer... Um, producer, master, you know, but these days you have to do that everything yourself. Those, those jobs are just all in one person, which means you have to hear your own piece of music <laughs> countless times and still kind of maintain some kind of objectivity. So I've had to get a bit more used to that. But like our studio manager at university, I asked him for some help remixing a, a track I'd done, and he played it we played it back about 10 times and that was just to adjust the kind of position of the speakers but that time my 
can't stand it anymore. <laughs> That's before we'd even started looking at the actual what EQ to put on or what sounds we wanted. But he was maybe it's easier it's much if it's not your piece of music, then you can obviously doesn't affect you so much. My main worry is that music wears out and or good music wears out. I used to think that. I'm not sure if that's always true now. What but, do you mean by it wears out? Well, it's saying to Jess the other day, just moaning how hard it is being a, a songwriter or a musician. But if you imagine, if she saying, if you imagine that if you've got a favourite song and you love it and you play it, and then next week, and it's amazing, then the next week you play it and it just means nothing to you. Yeah, that's cool. It, that's not a big deal. But if it's if that's your song and you thought it was amazing, and then one day it just means absolutely nothing, and that's just that's really horrible. It's just not a very nice. Well, it's just something you have to deal with, and it makes you kind of question it. Well, I've had that experience myself, but I always think the thing is, it's not mine anymore once I've written it. Mm. Like, it, that's for the audience. Like, if the audience still like it, then who am I to say the audience is wrong? I mean, I'm not saying I have that problem, really. I don't know if I've ever had an audience that liked my songs enough to listen to them repeatedly. But, um, but, but I, you know, if they don't like it, that's, that's their right, too. But, I mean, mm. I always think, you know, if I listen back to it and think, oh, I have no... Co-. Like, the, the problem is, I, when I mix it, I think, wow. Like, at mm. that moment, I'm like, wow, I did that, and it sounds perfect. And yeah. then I hear it a week later, and I'm like, what did I... Why did I think that sounded <laughs> perfect? That sounds That sounds weird. That sounds yeah. weird. It, it shows sound- you how, kind of, it's just what, so much to do with how your brain chemistry is on a particular day or what your emotions are. It's, kind of, there's no... Music just doesn't exist in an objective state or it's not fixed. It's, it's just how you perceive it, like anything, like colours. or That's the good thing about music, that you can't put your finger on it. It's just... <laughs> that's what... If, 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 if I thought I'd written the perfect song or written an amazing piece of music, then I'd maybe stop. So I, had, I did have an idea when I first started writing that one day I'd write a song that... Well, maybe it was an idea for a short story I had, but whether it was possible to write a song that was so good that the person who's listening to it, that you'd kill, the person would die, or like this guy was trying to commit a murder and no one could ever accuse him of trying to kill someone, but he thought, well, maybe if I write just a song that was so good that the person couldn't, you know, just overwhelm them so much, this piece of art. I can't remember why I wanted to write a story about that, but I just wonder if it's just a philosophical point, whether, you know, sometimes you can enjoy something so much, but if, you know, if you write the absolute perfect song, maybe that'd just be it. I think it's a nice idea. (laughs) It's it's pretty gruesome as well. Yeah. But it'd be the ultimate accolade as well if if I... If someone liked it so much that they just... Maybe it was an old person at the end of their life, that wouldn't be such a bad <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe it's a bit of a sick thought. Maybe it's like euthanasia through song. Yeah. You know, I th- I think we should say where we're at because there's some background sounds and just mm. to explain that we're on a kind of roof really outside your shared house in uh, in Bristol. So we're outside in the night, half past eleven at night, and uh, there's people walking by and cars going by. So that might that's to explain yeah. what the sounds are. There's people setting up for St Paul's Carnival down the road. That's right, which is happening tomorrow. So tomorrow night there'll be kind of pretty. There'll be a few zombies walking around, staggering around with cans of red stripe and trying to score ketamine and, uh, <laughs> or selling whatever they got, taking whatever they got and trying to remember where they lived or what, <laughs> what their name is. And I hope I'm not one of them. <laughs> so, yeah. so, when do you most remember hearing music? Uh, I think I first got into music at school through uh, school hymns and assemblies. We had a head teacher who was uh, obsessed with Handel's water music. He used to play that pretty much every assembly, which you don't think is that weird at the time, but he was just, yeah, he had his, his personal favourite record and he'd inflict it to us at this school of primary school kids pretty much every assembly. He was quite a strange man, though. He wouldn't let us talk in lunchtimes. Yeah, just tell him. Let you talk in lunchtimes. If our voices rose, the communal volume of the lunch hall rose above a certain level. 
just make us eat in silence. That happened quite often. He wow. was, uh, he was uh, an old Scottish dude, very strict and scary. Where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Buckinghamshire. My parents still live there. It's right on the edge of uh, the tube map on the Metropolitan Line. If you go right as northwest as you possibly can, you come to a little town called Chesham, and the line becomes all bumpy and you get more fields and hills. It's quite an old town. It's got an old part and it's got a new part, which is like generic McDonald's, kind of high street. But yeah, it, was, it wasn't too bad growing up. We just we were just skaters, me and my friends, and trying to find some trouble to get into, but there was nothing really going on. So. This is back in, what, 80s? Early 90s, yeah, pre-Britpop. So this is another one of my gripes, is that I think I grew up in the worst possible era for music. How the, the worst decade for music that has been, what? which was mid early 90s to early 2000s from kind of all the really bad indie well even the good indie was pretty shit and the bad stuff was just awful like kind of yeah it's kind of your dodgies and your dodgies um, awful your I saw of, them live yeah bad. And your wonder stuff and like all these kind of popular stuff I mean some of it's good actually but looking back but I mean there's I guess now that decade there's a lot of nostalgia for that and everyone's like Ned's Atomic Dustbin reforming all these wonder stuff coming I think there was some good stuff in that era there was Pulp I think Pulp were good and, uh, yeah but the pulp, pulp weren't popular they were they were uh, they hadn't really made an impact so I was into you were, you were uh, a little bit before me yeah I was kind of listening to Smashing Pumpkins and Pearl Jam I was big into Smashing Pumpkins and then I got more into acoustic stuff through bands like Sebado and Pavement Sonic Youth so kind of noisy American bands so I was kind of an indie kid American indie and just go up to London and try and find the latest piece of vinyl yeah I think I bought two two copies of Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins one of them because it was red vinyl I've never played it or just used to get out and look at it sometimes and how <laughs> like, did you how did you get from there to folk because when I first met you I think I think you still you'd still would you still call yourself a folk singer yeah I think so but I'm not sure what that means really um, yeah what does yeah what what define folk music I was never into traditional folk although I have recently getting into that quite a lot but my parents didn't really have many records I had most about 80% of their record collection was ABBA and James Last who was like kind of lush strings versions of popular songs really cheesy stuff Carpenters but he had two albums which the only two albums I listened to were The Sound of Silence by Simon Garfunkel and Dylan's Freewheeling and that gives you enough for those two to so that's when the the sound of the acoustic guitar kind of probably got its claws into me but at that time I just had an electric guitar and just wanted to kind of rock out distorted fashion I didn't really get into acoustic stuff properly until I started writing songs I think and then How old were you when you first started writing songs? I had a band at school but we just wrote kind of jangly indie songs and we did a few gigs and we had a we did some quite messy gigs actually back then if you're at school you can just fill up a hall of like 200 people because the word just spreads if you've got a band it's quite amazing actually trying to get that many people to a gig now it's just impossible. But I couldn't like, even get anybody, <laughs> anyone to a gig when I was at school. And like everyone's moshing and just wasted on uh, Southern Comfort and just <laughs> and uh, Kahlua or whatever they're drinking. We were called John's Idea. Uh, me and my best friend Simon, who's now in Hong Kong. I didn't really start writing till properly until I spent a year in Australia after I graduated, previous girlfriend, and I come back to England. And I think it was through listening to Bob Dylan. Yeah, I just read, I didn't really know how to, I tried to write songs and then I was never happy with anything I came up with and I thought it's just, it's just, I don't think I was just trying too hard. Before you've written a song you don't know really what a song is or what it will sound like. It's a bit like imagining what it's like to kiss a girl or something before you've actually done it, like when it actually happens it's all, it's quite, it's just natural and quick and... Yeah. But until then, it's like the first time. The first time, it's natural and quick writing a song. Yeah. But have have you found that it's become it becomes harder and harder to write songs the 
older you get, the more you sort of have to compare yourself against your previous. Yeah, songs, the first it? ones they have a kind of magic in their creation, and they kind of they're kind of protected by this weird aura. You can't really mess with them too much. They're just very solid, and you need that foundation. That provides a foundation for the way you branch out from there. But friend said to me once he's not a songwriter but he, and he was talking about art in general and he was talking about it's like there's a, there's some kind of metaphor that people use about a, a caterpillar like or a millipede or something something with lots of legs and it just naturally uses all of its legs mm. and then one day it gets told that it's using its legs and it suddenly starts thinking about mm. its legs and suddenly it can't coordinate all of the legs again and it falls over and it can't walk yeah. and then it has to learn how to use all its legs yeah. again but once it's learned to use them it can run so much faster because it yeah. knows how it's using its legs that's like coming back to dylan again he, that's what he said after he written all gone through the 60s with this incredible stream of albums and songs and then it just stopped and he, he said he had to relearn consciously to do what he used to do unconsciously and that took a while reprogramming or just thinking about songs in a new way but and Dylan's your big guy yeah no one else has ever come close to approaching songs in the way and his songs completely played in so many different ways and he does that no one else no one else interprets their own songs. Like most bands you'll see, they'll, they'll, they'll find a good arrangement and just stick with it, which is, you know, you kind of have to do. But he'll just tear something up. It's, it, it's just his iconoclasm, his iconoclastic approach to kind of the kind of songs that are around at, at his time, the Tim Pan Alley kind of songs. And he just, just destroyed all of that. You know, just, when he was basically a teenager, it was, it was unthinkable, really. It's, pissed off everyone the folkies to kind of the established songwriters and it took me a long time to love Bob Dylan but I have got there yeah. in the end I think all my favourite singers I've hated their voices to start off with that's a sign of a good singer someone like Karen Dalton is one of my favourite female singers and you hear it the first time you hear her voice it's just it's just horrible <laughs> Pastels like Stephen Pastels voice and that's just it's just it's really you find it quite like almost like they're starting an argument with you because it's so they're not trying to come across in a conventional way they're not trying to gritify their voice or anything but, and that's the kind of singers I like Now before we came out here to, to do this conversation I asked Jess what I should ask you and she said to ask you where you find your songs from where, where you find your songs from which I I don't, I think that's what she said. I might be misremembering it now. Mm. It's not a question I would ever ask a songwriter because I am a songwriter, so I thought I'd ask it. Yeah, it's not something I've thought about before. Like I said, because I'm quite a superstitious person. Uh, in fact, I've only been able to say I'm quite superstitious recently because I wouldn't have even been too... I wouldn't have even mentioned that, probably. Too superstitious Just, about the yeah, idea Yeah, to actually think about talking about it. I think... Just like... I don't know. I wish I knew where they came from. I think if you get one good line, that dictates the quality of the whole song, whatever the quality of that line is or that phrase, the first melody you come up with. Normally the rest of it that comes afterwards is the same kind of quality. So you start with the music and the words come? No, it's at the same time, yeah. At the same time? The rhythm, the rhythm, the words normally. Kind of. Well, sometimes I sing like gibberish and it'll have a melody, but it needs some words, I think. Yeah, I was listening to... Smith's interview today and it's incredible just just wondering how they used to work like Johnny Marr would record his, some guitar parts on a cassette give it to Morrissey like, and he'd come up with a melody and the words and I, just can't, I can't imagine doing coming up with a, a part without a melody already because they're just so integral yeah I, mean, I always start with uh, words and melody and then everything else comes afterwards including rhythm that comes late for me yeah I, I constantly tell challenge myself to write different kinds of songs which is bad in a way because I like, I like people who I get sometimes I've got jealous in the past about people who've got one sound and they do it perfectly and it's really unified and you'll hear their album and it's all kind of got the same thread like a Nick Drake kind of musician where he's got his sound and I just, I just I just can't do one thing that's my problem yeah. well I don't know I mean it... It's funny how there's this sort of 
dissonance between an artist and the act and their work, like how an artist feels about their work and what their work is to an audience. Like I own your CD or one of your CDs, and I think it's got a very unified feel. It flows very well from beginning to end, and it's got a kind of sound that's your own, and you have a kind mm. of sound that's your own. But it's interesting that you don't think that. Yeah, no, <laughs> it seems like they're just everything's just like wants its own life rein it in <laughs> to be uh, kind of I don't know I, just, I can't it surprises me like I can't imagine how I, what anyone else gets out of listening to my songs uh, do you write autobiographical songs? I have done I've written some about specific people and they're really fun to write about just because you, you've got all the associations there already yeah it's a perfect thing songwriting the way because you, you can wish you'd said something you know quite often I think it's quite a common experience that I wish I'd said that or what happens if I'd done behaved differently and you can just explore those a lot of my favourite songs are about regrets of some kind like a lot of Leonard Cohen famous Blue Raincoat or something you listen to that and it's just it's a yeah yeah. it's a a very good song why film music I guess I had to do something which would make some money <laughs> uh, I've always been a bit worried about using. I've I finally realised that people have talent, and then that you got some talent, and then you're meant to use them to make money, which seems quite obvious. But I hadn't really thought about that before. I, I've always thought about that as quite a vulgar way to to approach. Uh, I've been quite purist. I think art is art. That's so why I thought I'd try just question that approach and say, well, maybe. I should just do what everyone else does and try and maybe apply myself to something that can be appreciated in a kind of by a wider audience through commercial kind of means, or it's a film or a soundtrack or a TV soundtrack. We'll see how that goes. But when did you come to that conclusion? I've always loved film music, not the big kind of Star Wars things, but Bernard Herrmann, kind of Hitchcock's composer and uh, Ennio Morricone or Spaghetti Westerns and just big kind of powerful music so a lot of what we studied was how to do perfect kind of underscoring where it just kind of it's almost invisible to the ear and I found that really the hardest thing to to pull off in a way because it just goes against everything that I'd normally try to do in a piece of music which is to communicate on a very open level to the listener or just offer them ideas to think about whereas in a film with an underscore kind of approach you'd you'd let the kind of the camera and the script do the work and you'd just be highlighting the effect of that or just support playing a supportive role i don't think many directors would these days would give you the opportunity to do these kind of big themes that you got i really would have liked to be doing this like the 30 40 years ago when there was more kind of arts and more scope for kind of an artistic approach but you can still do that in kind of indie films now, but there's those, those are the films with very little budget, or unless you get quite lucky. So, yeah, so that's a bit of a dilemma I have to having to face at the moment. What? Do, you, do you think there's something kind of going on with culture? Like you've said a few times that you kind of you you sort of were born into the wrong generation musically. There's nothing sort of. Yeah. Things that, there's no I think that's quite lazy in a way of me because if you if you think something's crap you can just improve it or do whatever you want to. Yeah, I think people have been forced, well not force fed, but just fed a lot of crap music over the years. It's or not, recently, it's not as easy to change the dominant cultural attitudes. Though mm. I mean, you can't just go, all right, I'll write a song and then everybody will change the way they think about music and commerce. Mm. I mean, it is very hard. I think now to find a way through the mm. things that are built up in, in front of us as musicians, yeah. between us and the public. I do, I do worry about that. It seems sometimes that you can get stuck in the idea that music has just been gradually getting more and more watered down. From you know, You've got the big beasts of songwriting from the 60s and 70s, like your Coens and your, your Neil Youngs and your Dylans. And it's almost hard, it's hard to imagine having those big archetypes you don't get those anymore and even though it seems they were writing kind of quite simple songs it just gets harder and harder for anyone to have that impact and their pool of influences gets wider and wider 
it has this sort of this kind of watering down effect. It's a bit more of this, bit of this, bit of this, bit of this, rather than being kind of that kind of singular approach. So I'd kind of love to do something that was just, you know, you know, when something if I was around when Joy Division or that, kind of first hearing that or something that would have that effect which I'm sure you try and do in your music as well yeah uh, which try is, and do it yeah. which is just How really difficult it? yeah it's that dilemma today it just seems harder than ever but I'm not sure whether that's maybe it was that's a, true or not maybe it felt the same for them yeah that's what I always think maybe it always feels impossible to break mm. it and maybe you never know that you've done it as well yeah but I'm hoping <laughs> maybe yeah maybe I need to learn to ignore my, my influences maybe or maybe there's people like Ian Curtis just didn't have weren't the people to well they didn't respect their you know they had their influences and they just kind of you got to maybe just be able to leave that stuff behind and somehow break away from what's gone before which is incredibly hard like yeah yeah, very hard but I want to know if I did do that what it would sound like and that's where I'm hoping to get to um, so that's what's keeping me going <laughs> that's, so, a long, that's a long project so you, you left w- w- once you left school you went to university yeah yeah in, Can- did, in Canterbury and what did you study I studied sociology and um, I I think I wanted to be I had some crazy idea to be a journalist I was I was never any good at writing but I liked the idea of being a writer with a typewriter and everything so, so I was kind of doing the student paper at university and bits and pieces and trying to write short stories and but no, but that I think that was because I hadn't figured out that I could write songs or how to what my musical identity was so I kind of went down lots of different sidetracks like do I want to be, do I want to be a poet and do I want to do this I, I felt like I had something to express that was I think yeah it was pretty pretty weird time thinking about it now you've got something to say but you just don't know how to channel it yet so, well, I was at university, I'd, I was just writing poems and stories, but I think they were pretty awful. <laughs> In fact, I hope I, I hope none of them survived. <laughs> <laughs> and then you sort of, after uni, you you've just you've worked day jobs to fund songwriting. Yeah, I've done. Yeah, I was working. I was working for charities. I've done a lot of work for charities, kind of fundraising, marketing, like in offices yeah I did some 9 to 5 stuff but you never really had a career no I've got a thing about responsibility and authority what, what, <laughs> so, what, let's unpack that a little bit what, what, what do you mean just if someone's expecting you to achieve something as, uh, that, that puts me off trying to achieve it straight away especially if it's written down in a job description that <laughs> uh, just puts the living fear uh, puts the heebie-jeebies at me straight away from work I've worked in a lot of offices and I'm, I've sworn never to go back into one now and I never will but just some having worked with a lot of bosses and managers they just have far too realise they have a lot of them have far too much power you have a lot of power as a boss and not, not many of them know how to use it very well and it's uh it can be they can make it quite a miserable place to work like, yeah when did you come to this realization that you weren't ever going to go back into an office that sounds like quite a moment really well actually it's quite slow i've maybe promised myself that a few times but no. <laughs> this time you mean it i was kind of maybe i was quite hooked in a way i quite got quite hooked on just leaving jobs and so i'd get a job and just hate it but then you get this huge adrenaline rush when you when you just leave so it's quite it's the best feeling just like kind of knowing you're not uh, have you always planned to leave or have you no just, just days very impulsive like yeah if, if it's not going well I'll just I'll just leave or look for something else there. yeah because I'm quite claustrophobic in a physical sense as well like I don't go in lifts or in, and that spills I think that spills over into commitment or in other areas I think as well like if I feel I'm pinned down or kind of uh, if someone's they can got me surrounded or something it's kind of a primal thing or or if someone thinks they know who I am or what can someone can get something out of me or rely on me too much then I'd like to kind of do whatever I can to use up that situation which is not always a healthy thing well it's it's I think with all of these not for a career anyway well I think qualities are kind of I've as I get older the more I think that 
all of the qualities we have are neutral and they have a negative side and a positive side. So I'm quite intense, for example. Mm. That is very useful in some ways and it's also very negative in some ways. I would imagine that, that being impulsive or wanting to be aloof or whatever whatever you would define your this thing is, is it's mm. a neutral thing. Sometimes it protects you and other times it maybe holds you back and it's it's about learning how to use these things yeah you know for the power of good yeah <laughs> i just think i don't want one thing to define me maybe you know cause my dad worked in like one job and they've stayed in one house and been very stable and kind of my parents are great you know that generation had like certain routine and part of me has probably reacted against that and you grew up in a what uh, middle class yeah it's just this environment or? a very middle middle bang in the middle of middle class I'd say so I didn't really know any kind of I thought I thought I used to think I was quite upper middle class but then I, I came to Bristol and you walk around Clifton or somewhere or go to university and see the proper Jess, upper middle class yeah, you go out well I thought Jess was posh and then you see the there's posher, posh, posh, yeah, there's posher people than so, Jess. Yeah, so that's helped me. Jess put, just sounds posh. So that's helped me put me in my place, yeah. Yeah. But I think you can't help being. Uh, in one sense, class is just ridiculous, and you think oh, it just doesn't. It's just meaningless, but it is. It has it does have certain. It's just about the people you, the values you grown up with, and kind of what food you eat, how you speak, everything. It's, I find it fascinating, kind of, like, even with... And, uh, you're, um, and you're Jewish as well, which is I something am. I'm not going to touch on too much, for reasons right, I sort it's of not a sore it. point. <laughs> no, well, it's just, I, I, like, I, like I was saying earlier on, I, it's, a, it's a funny thing that, like, ethnicity is something that's interesting, but it's mm. also a strange thing to pick out of people's yeah. lives as a strand. But I, well, I think the only reason that I sort of bring it up is because what I'm interested in, I guess, is were you brought up religiously? No, we've. Uh, my mum's family, both my parents are Jewish. My mum grew up in Israel, that's, and yeah, that's, that's quite that. a Jewish society. But most of them are kind of pretty much secular Jews. But we had very. There was an Orthodox side of the kind of wing of the family in Israel, and the kind of very religious part, and there'd be like they'd be living in ex- like pretty much extreme poverty and but just their whole life revolves around just reading the Torah and study, studying there'd be like ten of them living in a tiny flat and be no just the most basic furniture and just just remember uh, big rabbis and massive beards and bad breath bending down to kiss you and like bless you and stuff so it's quite it's quite bizarre. And you went? To, did you go to Israel quite, quite a lot? Yeah, you? we didn't. We didn't really have any dealings to do with with Jews, the Jewish <laughs> community in this country at all. Yeah. So, when I meet Jewish people now, like from like the London community or whatever, or the high, around Highgate or Golders Green, I don't. I don't know anything about what they're talking about or their terms for the same things that I did or but you can what, speak Hebrew and Yiddish can't you oh, yeah I can speak a little bit or understand more but so my understanding of what Jewish uh, of being Jewish is just from how it happens in Israel which is it's just like Christmas really kind of it's just for kind of something to bind the family with and various festivals throughout the year and stuff, so it's quite innocuous Do, I mean did you when you've been to Israel have you seen any of the troubles there have you um just seen it. No, I wasn't really aware of it too much, but you're always worried about just, you know, you know there's quite a spate of bombings in Tel Aviv, and you used to get a bit worried about getting on buses and things happening, or you know, it's like, or when you go to Jerusalem, you know, you'd feel this atmosphere. And But I've been near the kind of, um, you know, when you go near the Dead Sea and near the Gaza Strip, and my brother's quite involved with the Palestinian struggle as well so but I've I'm pretty apolitical I can see where he's coming from and I can see where my mum's coming from my mum's more obviously she grew up in Israel and uh, she you know she, that's her home and that's the Jewish home she thinks yeah. so yeah so I'm kind of I can't bring myself to 
take sides almost, but sometimes it feels like it should. You have to, but it's uh, it just feels incredibly when there's conflicts with no, uh, just you can't no resolution at the end of it. I can't, you can't, it's just so entangled in history and it's hard bloodshed. To, it's, it's hard just like, to see an end, yeah. end point for all of these things, really. But yeah. then sometimes they come. Sometimes well, we're in Ireland, but well, then there's stuff happening. I think the, it's yeah. early days in Ireland. Yeah. I, I think it's important to be positive and to hope that things will get better. But it's early mm. days uh, uh, still yeah. uh, in Ireland. And, and yeah. yeah, no, but Israel is an amazing country to visit. And, but it's uh, it's got quite a, quite a crazy history. But imagine though the relief. I don't know. Just an incredible story of just it's just unbelievable persecution of the war, like which my grandmother went through. And, Escaping from the Nazis, kind of just hiding in the forest, which she did, and where she met my granddad, and half, you know, many of her family just being shot, and then so you can see why, you know, they were offered the promise, this promised land after the war, and you can see what, you know, that's they feel, they feel their feelings are so strong about this land, and why, you know, they're not, they don't want to budge, or yeah, what no, it means I mean, to them. Is, I can you know, see, I can see that. So, I mean, politically. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm for a, a two-state yeah, solution, and I'm, I'm for an end to persecution of yeah. the Palestinians. But, but it happens a lot I with people being persecuted as well. Turn, you know, see both sides, yeah. But can, there's, it happens they turn into Ab- persecutors absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah, just, just after the Rwandan genocide, yeah. the people who ugh, I'm terrible with, uh, I'm not even going to try. But the people who had the genocide committed against them, mm. then. Started committing genocide. Yeah, there's no, the, the there's no clear cut kind so of guilty or innocent. Yeah, kind of, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's gone a bit, uh, gone a bit <laughs> deep and dark. The last question that I ask people round about this time is, do you have anything to plug? Do I have anything to plug? Uh, it's, mm, I'm not very good at plugging, but you should do it anyway. Though. Okay. <laughs> um, Sorry. I'm just I'm quite excited about the new band I've been playing with. Which wasn't a band to start off with. It was it was just the song that I recorded and got my friends to come and sing on. So it was kind of a virtual band, and then we decided, oh, why don't we just play some gigs? And now it's turned into a proper thing. And we're called Snails, and I guess it's kind of folk. But I'm trying to also pull myself away from folk, and it's going to be a lot more as well. Originally, I put an ad in for new musicians, and I was saying, I like this, I like that. And I was thinking, well, do I want a band of people just like me? So. I kind of want to be challenged a bit more, so I think it's going to go like, in different directions. Like, you can get some saxophones and other crazy instruments. But yeah, we're starting from a folk thing. And anyway, so we recorded. We've got a seven-inch coming out coming out soon. Um, so, it's yeah. little labels putting that out in a couple of months. But yeah, if you look up snails, and snails. They got a Facebook. They're on Bandcamp, I believe. I just discovered yeah, them yeah. the other day. Check it out. Like that's how bad that Dan is at plugging it. I'm a mate of his, and I didn't know about him. But the whole, I, the whole idea, of, whole idea about it for me was that I could get someone else to sing my songs, and I wouldn't have to sing them. But I've ended up singing on them as well. But I'm trying to do as little singing as possible. That's kind of what I'm I'm going for in my my new band. If mm. I can get that together, I want there to be another person at least singing it. Uh, Didn't, some of the yeah. Time. The idea was that I could actually listen back to my own song and enjoy it, but yeah, it's not working. That's out. what it is. That's yeah. what it is. The song I enjoy the most that I've ever written uh, is sung by somebody else, yeah. and that I can enjoy because it's sung by somebody else. And now I figured out I might have to get someone else to play all the instruments, <laughs> and <then laughs> record it, and then I'll be able to really enjoy it. And you, you, you also you're online as Hollow Body still. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm going to do a new EP as Hollow Body soon. That'll be just a free EP, I think, electronic. So free EP, but can they still buy your your? Yeah, I've got a Bandcamp and things for that as well. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I'll be doing it. I can recommend the CD that I've got. Um, God, can I remember its name? Did it have? Oh, name? Inside the Wolves. Yeah, Inside the Wolves. That was a couple of years ago. I've been a bit lazy with that, but there's some new stuff coming. But it's still good, even though it's a couple of years ago, because he <laughs> won't, he won't like it. But you yeah, know, someone else might. Yeah. You won't have heard it for like you won't. He's he's heard it for two years. He's fed up of it, but you won't have heard it. <laughs> Um, and are you, you're doing yeah. music for this is what I find so many of my friends at this point I find that I'm having to, 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 to remind them or yeah. tell them but you're also doing I'm doing soundtracks so if anyone has a film or anything or a, cart- a cartoon or an animation if you probably google Man Mountain Music okay. as a Vimeo channel 
and uh, the man mountain music or just Dan Weltman's music it might pop up somewhere uh, especially if, especially if your cousin's uh, Steven Spielberg or something uh. and are you, is he, are you just are you, are you soundtracks for films soundtracks for soundtrack cartoons? for anything absolutely so all, all, audio yeah. as well yeah just absolutely anything so instrumental a, music if you're a radio person or a podcaster like even yourself. if um, but you want paid gigs now though. yeah but I was thinking <laughs> I've got some projects in mind I was thinking of doing commissions like writing music for people's journeys to work so I might be doing that soon so if you've got an interesting journey to work you can, you can describe it to me I was going to do a little sound, personalised soundtrack that's interesting people. like a kind of personalised podcast yeah commute based around if you music. tell me about the kind of stuff that you, you see on your journey so I'll probably be asking putting a shout out for that soon and, and just doing a kind of bespoke soundtracks for people well I don't know what date this year this will come out probably quite a lot in the future mm. so by then Dan may have started doing that yeah I probably will have done uh, and if if he has I'll stick a link to that as well and uh, I'm hoping some stage to work with, with Dave on something we haven't really collaborated no we should well. though we totally should because mm. when I did that album uh, and you did the backing vocals on it that's my favourite oh yeah that was a long it's time ago yeah it's my favourite version of those backing vocals. Yeah. Although I like the, the version that the band did of that as well. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, we should definitely collaborate. I would yeah. definitely be... I'm, I'm happy to do that. Cool. Uh, on, I'll, I'll be tied to that on, on, on mic. I'm always, <laughs> cool. I'm always up for... You heard it here first, OK. Yeah, well, I'm always up for collaborating <laughs> yeah. with people. Well, thanks yeah. thanks for making me better better acquainted yeah well you, you did the you did you did the sign off that's, that's, <laughs> not, you've gone rogue you've gone okay. rogue yeah it's been, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you too and uh do you want to say goodbye to the audience goodbye audience thanks very much for listening bye bye <laughs> this road leads back to my mother of mine This is the song I'll sing for her For she was so good and so kind Next to the grave of my father They've dug a new hole And the soil looks so dark and inviting To slumber but never to stir There's barely a smile from my family They've heard those stories of me smell like prison You're released but never really set free But I think I'll go find my old friend And buy him a bottle of beer Yes and all and good story They might be the last ones that are here For I think my rambling day's over I think I'll hang in this town For this road's led by
I've got some rope in my pocket And I know a sturdy old tree Where we used to swing from as children I'll be swinging out much differently That was a live track performed by Dan at Stand Up Tragedy. The conversation that you heard was recorded a couple of years ago, and you can find Dan's soundtrack stuff www.danielweltman.com. That's W E L T M A N. I also put links to the hollow body and snails stuff that we were talking about in the show notes for this episode. Stand Up Tragedy is a variety night with a difference musicians comedians spoken word artists storytellers live artists cabaret artists any kind of performer that does good stuff i book to do tragedy for a night and it ends with a cathartic sing-along and i'm going to be taking the show to the edinburgh festival this year from the 3rd to the 14th of August. Listeners to this show will know that I have a day job and I'm not, I don't have very much money. I have a team of people who also don't have very much money who are working with me to take this show up to Edinburgh. And I'm asking you, my listeners, for some help. See, we need some extra funds to be able to do this. And we've put together a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo to raise the extra money. If you enjoy getting better acquainted and you want to help to support me, please give to this crowdfunding campaign. It's not just about giving the money, though. We're going to give you stuff back. There's an amazing list of perks that we have to give to people who donate at different amounts. We've got uh, merchandise to give you. We're going to send people postcards and whiskey from Edinburgh. There's opportunities for you to be featured on this podcast and on the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. One lucky person can get a meal cooked for them by Stand Up Tragedy's resident chef, Charlie. And we've got some amazing pieces of original art put together by Stand Up Tragedy artists to give away to you some of that is from yuri who's been featured on this show before you can get that for donating different amounts of money to the campaign in fact there's more perks than that but i can't think of them off the top of my head so i'm going to put a link to the indiegogo campaign in the show notes on the soundcloud page i'll be banging on about this until the 4th of July when the next stand-up tragedy happens and our crowdfunding campaign ends. So please, this is me reaching out directly to you. There's no one in between us. This is artist directly to the audience and I'm asking you to help finance taking this show up to Edinburgh. Even if you're not going to be in Edinburgh, you can still hear what we're doing because we're going to podcast every day of the Edinburgh Festival and I'm going to be up there doing getting better acquainted from there over august i'm going to be doing some live gbas as part of the free fringe as well the stand-up tragedy show is going to be free entry so everything about this is glorious and interesting and well worth putting your money whatever you can afford even if you can just afford like one dollar because it's all in dollars even if you can just afford one dollar if a hundred people can do that that's a hundred dollars And we're not asking for a large amount of money because we don't need a large amount of money. But we do need $3,500, which is 
about £2,000 or something. I don't know. I'm not the person in the team who deals with the money. So please consider becoming a part of the tragedy and donating to our campaign. For more details about stand-up tragedy and for a different place to find a link to the Indiegogo campaign, go to www.standuptragedy.co.uk And don't forget to follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, where we're at GBA Podcast, and to like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud and the Stitcher Smart Radio app, and there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.